Well, I'll give a little warning in case you have your little ones in here. Uh, today is a little bit intense in Revelation, just so you know that ahead of time. But it's the Word of God, and so we're going to jump into it. Um, we are continuing on in the book of Revelation. We've taken a couple weeks of a break for Easter and for my ordination service. But today we're back in it. If you have a Bible or device, you can open up to Revelation chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. A few weeks ago, we talked about Revelation 11 and the two witnesses that come to preach in the midst of the end times and everything that goes on with them and the way that they preach and the way that the world is against them and then, and then they die and then they come back. Crazy story. If you weren't here, you can watch it online. Uh, and then the initial sounding of the seventh trumpet is there in Revelation 11. But then there's this break that happens between the sounding of the seventh trumpet at the end of 11 and the actual events that follow the seventh trumpet are a couple chapters later. And in the middle of that, we have this kind of interlude of Revelation 12 and 13 where John, the revelator, introduces us to some of the other characters in this whole story. In fact, he introduces us to the main antagonists that are going to uh, be a part of this story. And he introduces us to what many Bible scholars have called the unholy trinity. Just like there is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have Satan who is always trying to be worshipped like God, even though he is nothing like God. And so he kind of sets up his own twisted version of the Trinity. And so we have Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. And we talk about these things in Revelation 12 and 13. So at the beginning of chapter 12, we are introduced to not only the dragon, who is Satan, but also we're introduced to why is there so much enmity between Satan and Israel? We're going to jump into this. So if you have your Bible device, open up Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read the first six verses. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was carrying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads, seven diadems, which is a fancy word for crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she will be nourished for 1260 days. Okay, intense, right? And a lot to unpack. Right off the bat, the chapter tells us there's a great sign from heaven. And we know that this, if, if, if it's a sign, then it's symbolic of something. So we're not talking about like a literal woman who's just having a baby. There's more to it than that. And so if you look at this, we can jump into it. We could do a whole sermon on this, but 
But in, in a short version, let me just tell you this. The woman represents Israel. Not just one woman. Some people have said, well, th- it's Mary. No, th- this woman represents all of Israel. Not just Israel, but Israel as it's supposed to be. As the perfect bride of God. And she is having a child. It says the male child. And that's the Messiah, Jesus. So you have this woman, and it's Israel. And from Israel comes this child who is to rule over the earth with a rod of iron. And then there is this antagonist, the dragon, who wants to devour the child because Satan wants to stop the work of God in the world. And Satan thinks, if I can just eliminate this child right from the get-go, then I can stop the plans of God. But Jesus is obviously saved from that. And so this whole thing is going on. And if you are like, I'm not sure that's what it is, then, then look towards Genesis 37. If you remember Genesis, there is a story where Joseph, who is one of the sons of Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel, and he is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And remember, keep in mind what we just read. Joseph is talking to his dad, and it says, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing to me. But then he told his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? So you have this exact same imagery talking about Israel that is now used in Revelation to talk about the woman. We can get really lost in the details of Revelation. You can get really lost in what is seven heads with ten horns and ten crowns. Like You can get really lost, and, and we could dive into that, but I'm not going to right now because one, it comes up later in the book, and two, it's all conjecture. We can come up with all sorts of ideas of what exactly does that mean. People have said, well, the, the crowns are the European Union and, and all these things. We don't honestly know. But as we go through the story, you're going to begin to see things that are coming out. Is, is okay, I can kind of see where God is pointing for that. And so Satan is there. He wants to devour the child because he wants to stop the work of God. And this has been going on since the beginning of time, right? Here, Satan is referred to as the dragon, which is a type of serpent. All the way back in Genesis, Satan is referred to as a serpent. And there's enmity between him and Eve. So this has been going on forever. And it goes way before that. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that Satan, if you don't know this, Satan at one point was an angel of light. His name was Lucifer. He was an angel in heaven. He was the worship leader. He, he was said to be beautiful. And he, he fell into pride and wanting to be worshipped like God. And from that he fell. Jesus says in Luke that he saw Satan fall like lightning. And when he falls, Isaiah tells us that he takes a third of the angels with him and they become demonic. And this is what it's talking about when he says he, with his tail he swept a third of the stars with him. And so we have this whole story, right? And, and we have this character, this enemy, Satan, and we try to understand what's going on. And somehow in the church, 
the whole idea of Satan has gotten very twisted. Okay, because I'm, I'm going to tell you a couple things, and they might be really surprising to you. And you might even be like, I don't know about that, but I promise you, I've done the study. Okay? Satan does not live in hell. Did you know that? Satan is not like this just evil character who sits around torturing people in hell. In fact, Satan has never been to hell. He will go there. And when he goes there, he's not going to be a king in hell. He's going to be the lowest inmate of the prison. And so we have this twisted idea. I had a recurring dream. This is just funny. I don't, this almost feels prophetic now, I'm going to tell you, uh, because stuff that's happened since then. When I was a little kid, I watched a movie that my parents should not have let me watch, where Bill Cosby, who at the time was like the coolest guy in the whole world, he plays the devil. And I had this reoccurring dream as a small child that Bill Cosby was chasing me around the catacombs of hell with a pitchfork. At the time, it was like, that's ridiculous. He's America's dad. Now, mm, maybe. Okay. <laughs> but this is not who Satan is. He is not the, the king of hell. He will be cast into the pit, but he will just be another inmate there. At this point in the story, you say, okay, well, if Satan's not in hell, where is Satan? Well, the Bible tells us in a couple different places that he's roaming to and fro on the earth seeking to devour like a lion, to seek, kill, and destroy people. And there's this, also this idea in the Bible that's very difficult for us to grasp onto, but it seems that Satan still has access to heaven. Because if you read through the book of Job, Job is in the presence of God, and he's accusing Job. And throughout the scriptures, we see this, that Satan goes to God, and he is the accuser. In fact, that's literally what Satan means, accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. And so now, at this time, and in the history that we know about, Satan is roaming to and from the earth, and he somehow has access to God. And he is, I believe, literally the accuser. If you think of heaven as the, the courtroom, and Jesus is our defense lawyer who's, who declares us righteous by his blood, there is the prosecutor, and it's the devil. And he's the accuser of the brethren, saying, look at them. Look at Christian. Look how bad he is. And then Jesus says, yeah, but I got this. Right? And so it's a, it's a paradigm-shifting idea because we, we, we have these ideas that like kind of our culture has given us about what the devil is and what he does, but they're not biblical ideas. They've come from other places. And so I want you to have an idea of who he actually is and what he is doing. Also, I'm sure you guys know this, but Satan is not the equal opposite of God. There is not the all-powerful God and the all-powerful Satan in this cosmic battle for our souls. That is not the reality. God is so far beyond Satan, it's ridiculous. Satan is a gnat to God. In fact, we're going to see in the next part of the story, if there is an opposite to Satan, it is the angel Michael. Angel, right? Lucifer used to be an angel. There's this other angel, Michael, and they're going to have a battle. They are opposites. They are created beings. And so the devil is not this all-powerful thing that God is afraid of. He's nothing. But he's a part of this story. And so we're going to read the next part. Revelation 12, verses 7 through 17. 
and this gets a little bit confusing, this is not talking about when Satan fell before earth's time. This is talking about a battle that has yet to come. At least that's how I view it. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Again, lots to unpack, a lot of imagery here. The battle that's being described is this battle that is yet to come because right now, Satan is roaming to and from the earth. He has access to God, but there will come a time where this, this final battle in heaven will take place and Satan will be cast out completely from the presence of God. And he can no longer accuse the brethren. And this is amazing, right? He has been the accuser for all of time. And then watch this. It says he is, distru- he is conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So the blood of Christ and the gospel going out into the world for a couple thousand years brings destruction and defeat to Satan. And then in verse 12 it tells us that heaven is rejoicing because Satan has been completely cast out of God's kingdom. But then it says, woe. And when the Bible says woe, it doesn't mean like woe. It means woe. Big woe. Woe to the earth and to the sea because Satan is coming and he knows his time is short. That's what's a, one of the amazing things about this is if, if you're going to say anything positive about Satan, you'd say this guy, is, he's, he perseveres. He knows his time is short. He knows he's going to lose. And yet he's like, I'm going to take as many people down with me as I can. His only reason for existence is to destroy at this point. And so he goes after, it says, the woman. He comes down to the earth and he's still mad that he wasn't able to devour the Messiah. And so he goes after the mother. Right? This is Israel. 
So Satan comes and he goes after Israel, but Israel is somehow protected, right? There's this imagery, and I don't know what this means. I'm not going to lie to you. When it says that God sends like eagles' wings and takes them away, I don't know what that means, but somehow God is going to protect Israel from the enemy. He even says that Satan tries to pursue Israel with some sort of flood, and the earth opens up and protects them. Beautiful imagery, don't know exactly what it means, going to be awesome. Verse 17, Satan has now failed to destroy the child. He has failed to destroy the woman. He is a failure, and now he's even more full of wrath. And so then it says he goes after the rest of her offspring. And this is where it can get very convoluted. We're not sure what this means. Either you believe that the church is still on the earth at this point, and he's going to go after the church, or if the church has already been raptured and is gone and is in heaven, then he's going to go after all of the people who have come to know the Lord through this time of tribulation. Either way, his wrath is going to turn towards people, and then we're going to read about how he specifically goes after the world at this time, because remember, we're talking about an unholy trinity, and so far we've only met the dragon. As we get into chapter 13, we're going to meet the next two members of this unholy trinity. If you have your Bible, Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to, the, to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he has given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years, which is 1,260 days. All of these numbers are the same amount of time. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Yeah. We have this beast rising up out of the sea. And this is the Antichrist that will come. He's referred to in Revelation as the beast 13 times. And he's described as having seven horns, or sorry, ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns. And, and these are not a literal description of what the beast looks like. This is a description of his power and his authority and more stuff that we're going to get into in chapter 17, 18. But we still don't know exactly what that means. But he's going to be a normal man. The Antichrist will be a man, one that rises to power, 
and much of the world will even view him as a good man. Early in his career, he will bring peace to much of the world. He will bring a peace treaty between Israel and Palestine, this battle that's been going on for thousands of years. And people will look to him and say, who is like the beast? They probably won't call him the beast, because that would be pretty on the nose. But they'll say, who is like this great leader? He's brought so much peace. Early in his career, he will, he will make a, a peace pact with Israel that he will eventually break. And then there's this description of him that's interesting. He says he's like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Other than sounding like the coolest thing to hunt ever, what does that mean? Well, if you go all the way back to Daniel chapter 7, which I'm not going to get into everything in Daniel chapter 7, but Daniel talks about in times way earlier than John does. And Daniel has this description of the Antichrist that will come eventually. And as he's talking about the Antichrist, he likens the reign of the Antichrist to a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And I really want to know if Wizard of Oz was like, lions and tigers and leopards, oh my. Like, it seems too on the nose, right? Okay, that doesn't matter. But Daniel tells us that those animals represent kingdoms that were bringing destruction to Israel. Daniel tells us specifically, he says, the lion represents Babylonia, the bear represents Medo-Persia, and the leopard represents Greece. These kingdoms that have brought destruction to Israel. And then Daniel talks about another beast that is beyond his comprehension to talk about. Something that we might call a dragon. And some people say, well, that dragon that Daniel's talking about was Rome. So maybe it is. And so now we're talking about in the future this idea of a Rome-like world-conquering kingdom that will rise up and rule over the world like Rome once did. Daniel calls that fourth beast terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. And so when John goes to Daniel and he brings out this language of Daniel, he's telling us that this Antichrist will be the head of a world power that brings destruction like the world has never seen. And then verse 3 tells us there will be a mortal wound on the beast that he'll be healed from. It seems at some point this Antichrist will be wounded. Maybe it says a head wound. And that it will be healed. And so the world will look at that and say, it's miraculous. This great leader who we love, they, they tried to kill him and he, he was even saved from that. More people will begin to worship him. But eventually we'll see, verse 5, his true colors will show through. He'll begin to speak arrogantly and blaspheme against God and he will war against Israel and believers. He will set up his own image. You can go to another part of Daniel, and it talks about the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist will set up his own image in the temple of God in Israel. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that when you see the abomination of desolation, that's when it's time for Israel to run to the hills. Because everything is really going downhill at that point. Then in the remainder of chapter 13, we read about the third and final member of this unholy trinity. So we have the beast or the dragon, the dragon, which is Satan, 
the beast, which is the Antichrist. And then we have this twisted version of Satan's Holy Spirit, the false prophet. He's like the hype man for the Antichrist. He's the one that points everyone towards the Antichrist. He says, yeah, see how amazing this leader is, this world leader. Look to him. He is the Savior. So let's read Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So even if you've never read through Revelation in your life, you have probably heard about this section of Revelation. It's one of the most discussed mold over, tried to understand sections because it's talking about the end times and things that are come. So we have the dragon, we have the beast, and then we have the second beast. And this one is said to be, has two horns like a lamb, which is interesting. He's not as scary looking. He looks like a lamb, but he's got the voice of the dragon. He's somebody that people look at and say, like, oh, he's, he's trustworthy. And he's pointing me towards this Antichrist. They wouldn't call that, right? Too on the nose. This leader. And he works to make the people of earth worship the Antichrist. I think this person is going to be an eloquent speaker. The kind that we've seen before in our world. The kind of speaker who holds masses of people in the palm of his hands. We've seen this with dictators like Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini. These men who can stand before a crowd and they can say things and people are like, yeah, that makes sense. Even if they're spouting terrible garbage, people are just like, but he's, he's such a good communicator. He makes me feel good about myself. He's going to have that kind of gift of speaking and convincing people. And then there's this thing, he, he somehow he makes an image of the beast and, and it would seem gives life to the image, somehow animates this image of the beast. And people all the more are like, this is miraculous. And they bow down and they worship the beast. And then you see that moment where it spins, okay, so now if you don't worship the beast, you die. Everything turns. No longer this peaceful reign, but things begin to be destructive. This is one of the most talked about sections of Revelation. Most of it would have sounded preposterous for most of world history, right? 
People would have read this stuff 100, 200 years ago and been like, that makes no sense at all. Now we read this stuff and we're like, huh. One world government buying and selling without currency, but somehow there's this mark. We start to read these things now, we're like, I think I saw that on the news last week. It's a whole different world that we live in. Verse 18 is one of the most contemplated scriptures in Revelation. People have been trying to figure out exactly what the mark of the beast is for as long as this scripture has existed. People have worked out all sorts of convoluted math programs to, to prove that, well, 666 means Caesar Nero. 666 means Ronald Reagan. That was one. I, legit, people were like, oh, that's Ronald Reagan. He's the beast. 666 means Napoleon or, or the popes. Every pope has been accused of being the beast. Every U.S. president who has ever served, all the way back to George Washington, has been accused of being the beast. And somebody always comes up with some math thing. Say, see, their name equals 666. But the truth is we have no idea. And anybody who comes to you and says, I know exactly who the beast is. No, they don't. In fact, you probably guess if they say that, they're wrong. So you can eliminate that person. That's what I always say. Whenever somebody says, I know exactly what day Jesus is coming back. It's like, well, now I know it's not that day. It's any other day. We're not going to figure out this secret code. The, what's that movie called? The Da Vinci Code. We're not going to figure out the Da Vinci Code to figure out exactly who the beast is and all that stuff. But we can watch what's happening in the world and see these things that are happening. Like I said, a couple hundred years ago, we would have looked at this and just been like, that sounds crazy. Now, if you watch the news at all, you're like, this does not sound crazy. It sounds very feasible. I understand it's really interesting to try to solve these enigmas and to get really into all of these things. But the truth is, when Christians come out and say, I have it figured out, and then they're, of course, wrong, it just makes us all look stupid. We don't know. But God tells us to watch. To stay plugged into what's going on. And to know that these things are coming. But again, Satan is not the equal to God. We do not live in fear of what is coming we live in the knowledge that we know that God will prevail. Now, I know I just spent the last like half hour talking about Satan. But I want to say this. We talk about this because it's in the Word of God. And the Word of God is the good and perfect Word of God, and we should seek to know it and understand it and, and grow in it. But we don't have to live obsessed with these things. C.S. Lewis wrote one of my favorite books of all time, The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read this book, like, unless you're real young, I would say maybe not if you're real young, but if you're a little bit older, this book's amazing. And uh, I read this book in a season, the first time I read it, I read it in a season where I was not walking with the Lord. So figure that out. God, like, just like, ha ha. I read this book, and if you've read the book, you understand how weird this is. I read this book, and I was like, this is what's happening in my life right now. It freaked me out. But C.S. wrote this book, 
And the whole book is basically talking about things that go on in the demonic world, in the demonic ranks. And C.S. never actually finished this book. If you read it, there's, not, there's no like, good ending because he said it was so hard for him to like, exist in this world that eventually he just had to like, kind of walk away from it. And eventually later he wrote kind of a follow-up ending, which is weird. But, but one thing I want you to see, in the preface of this book, before he even gets into it, he has one of the great quotes, I believe, when it comes to talking about this whole idea of the devil and Satan. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist or a magician with the same delight. What he's saying is, we cannot live in ignorance that there is an enemy of God who is prowling around seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Who wants to destroy any work of God in your life. Who wants to take away the blessings that God has for you and keep you focused on the world. We can't live in ignorance of that. However, he is not the equal to God. And if we are seeking the Lord, and if we are living with the kingdom of God in our sight, we do not have to live in fear of this enemy because he's a gnat. He's a pebble in God's shoe for now. So we should know that there's an enemy. We should keep an eye out for the works of darkness that are going on in in our lives and in the people that we love. But in our daily lives, we need to keep our hearts and minds focused on God and living lives that bring glory and honor to Him. Worship team, you guys can come back up. If we're doing that, if we're pursuing Jesus and sharing the message of God in the world, and if we're living in the power of God, then no enemy can possibly stand in our way. Because we're not living in our power. We're not walking around saying, look how great I am. We're just like, like the great theologian said, he said, we just, we just point to God and we say, look how great He is. And yes, there's the enemy. Yes, He wants to bring destruction. Don't live in ignorance, but don't be obsessed with it. Because I've seen too many people where they just, man, there's a demon behind every door. Every bad thing that ever happens, they say, well, this is the devil. No. God's in control. He's got you. So know the truth, but live in the truth of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I thank you that we can read these things and look towards the future and know what is coming, but we also know the end of the story, and the end of the story is that you will be victorious and that you will bring glory to your people and we will be safe in your arms for eternity. Help us to point people away from this darkness to you. Help us shine light upon your glory. 
Jesus' name.